When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The world's rhinoceros population is in trouble. Right now, there are about 27,000 or so rhinos. There are five different species. Three of them are in Asia and two of them in Africa. But I will say it's pretty bleak. The population has declined a lot over the last couple centuries. Despite ongoing efforts to protect the rhinos, today, three of the five species are critically endangered. They're at kind of imminent risk of going extinct. There are some species in Indonesia that have just 80 individuals left, so we're talking really, really small numbers. Over the last decade or so, a few startups have turned to using science and technology, everything from synthetic biology to 3D printing, to try to save the rhinos. Benji Jones from Down to Earth, a Vox project on the biodiversity crisis, has been following the story. Hey, Benji, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us more about what's happening to the world's rhino population. So poaching is one of the most commonly cited drivers of biodiversity loss alongside habitat loss, climate change, things like that. When it comes to rhinos, it seems to be the most important driver of these declines. So hunters are killing rhinos and they're doing that largely so that they can get their horns. And that's because those horns are incredibly valuable in these illicit markets that trade rhino horns for their properties. So some people buy rhino horn because they perceive it to have medicinal benefits or can kind of be a solve for a wide number of ailments, such as even having a hangover or more serious like cancer and, and even some of the symptoms of COVID-19. And then there's also a market for carvings made of rhino horn, which are essentially status symbols for the wealthy. And what we know suggests that most of these markets are in East Asian countries, largely in China and more recently in Vietnam. How expensive are rhino horns? There have been a really wide range of numbers cited in media reports. And I tried to look into this and I found one investigation from a team of researchers. And it seems to show a range of between four to eight thousand US dollars per pound of raw rhino horn. So between four and eight thousand dollars. So we're, we're not talking about like crazy expensive, but that's expensive enough to drive people to, to hunt them down. And often they're hunting them in protected areas. So this is not an easy animal to take down. So, Benji, you recently wrote a story for Down to Earth on Vox.com about how tech companies are trying to solve the poaching crisis. What's the vision there? How does that work? Yeah. So you might remember hearing about this like five years ago or so. A small number of startups have proposed to manufacture synthetic rhino horns, so fake rhino horns. And the idea is that they can flood the market with these products that might look indistinguishable from the real rhino horn in a way to undermine this market for the real horns. So basically, on the one hand, you are introducing an ethically sourced product, which means that consumers that might not want to be involved in rhino poaching could buy these synthetic horns as an alternative that's much more ethical, similar to, say, ethically sourced or ethically grown diamonds versus a situation where you have these synthetic horns on the market that are indistinguishable from the real thing and that could potentially just 
dilute the market and lower the need for poaching, but it could also sow distrust in the marketplace among consumers who only want authentic horns if they're going to consume them, for example. And if you sow distrust in the market, you might lower the value of horns to begin with, and that could thus lower the incentive to poach more rhinos. So what are the companies involved in this and what are the different approaches they're taking to creating synthetic horns? There are, as far as I know, just a handful of them. The most widely known one that kind of created this media blitz when it first made its announcement in 2015 is a company called Pembient based in Seattle. And their approach is to produce this kind of synthetic version of rhino horn that it could then 3D print into these shapes. So that's talking about physical horns. There's also a company called Serratotech, which is a little bit different in that it's proposed to actually grow rhino horns in a lab from cells. So basically, it's kind of akin to lab-grown meat, but we're talking about rhino horn. So literally rhino horn from a Petri dish. And then there's also a company called Rhinoceros Horn LLC, which is one of the earlier players, or maybe the first player, which launched in 2012. And they were targeting a synthetic powder. And that powder is what people would consume. So if you're just making powder, it's just for the kind of consumption market. So how have these different approaches fared? Not well, to summarize. Um, Rhinoceros Horn LLC, this kind of first initiative, it's not totally clear what happened. I was just chatting with the founder on LinkedIn. He seemed to indicate that the company had kind of closed its doors due to the politics surrounding this approach to trying to prevent poaching. So surrounding the idea of introducing synthetic horns. So it doesn't seem like they're in business anymore. Serato Tech is still working on its plan to build horns, but they need more money to get into the next stage of development. So they're kind of at a standstill. Still. And then Pembient similarly is basically out of money and is looking for another round of investment to continue working on this product. So none of these companies are currently actually in a lab right now developing these products. They need more money or just have closed altogether. If they got a product onto the market, do we know if this would really work in theory? There is very little research on this. I did see two studies that suggest that the answer could be Yes, sort of. So it does seem like under certain market conditions, introducing synthetic horns could actually lower demand for authentic horns by lowering the price. And so that could mean that this works. But I just don't think that we have the certainty to know if it would actually happen and it could backfire. What do conservationists and animal welfare groups think about this? Conservation groups and animal welfare groups, which are kind of like the conservation establishment, they have a lot of power, a lot of money, and they drive a lot of conservation decision making and work a lot with country governments. So while there is some evidence that synthetic rhino horns might actually disrupt the illicit market and reduce demand, they just don't want to see any synthetic horns out there because they think it could backfire and cause problems that actually could make this worse. What kinds of problems? Can you get into that? Yeah. So one thing that a lot of these groups say is that just putting even fake horns on the market is going to prop up an illegal market for horns because you're creating another supply of these horns. And so they don't want to see this at all. And so they're supporting efforts that just completely would shut down the trade of of illegal horn. So that's kind of the broad statement. But then one of the kind of more compelling issues that I've heard of is just how introducing synthetic horns that are indistinguishable from real horns could disrupt law enforcement efforts to prevent illegal trade. So there's this international treaty called CITES, which is the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. So that's this international agreement that prevents the trade of animals from threatening them, essentially. 
and under CITES, you cannot internationally sell rhino horns. The problem is that if a law enforcement officer sees a shipment of rhino horn and can't tell if it's real or not, that could potentially be a problem because the poacher could say, hey, these are actually fake rhino horns. So they're not illegal because they don't fall under this CITES regulation. So by introducing synthetic horns into the market, it could provide a cover for poachers to illegally trade rhino horns. The treaty you mentioned, if there were a flood of synthetic horns, would that have to be updated? That's a really good question and, and something that some of my sources brought up as well. So these companies, at least Pembient, has suggested that they're going to put rhino DNA into these horns. So the question is, if they look like rhino horns, they test like rhino horns, are they not rhino horns that would then also fall under CITES? So one of the sources that I talked to said that, yes, CITES should actually apply. And then you can just have the trade of synthetic horns be regulated just the same as, as with authentic horns. But I don't think that we're at the point yet where we could be able to figure out whether CITES would apply. But that, that question will have to be answered for sure. It's also just worth mentioning that the problem with law enforcement that we talked about really applies if these horns are indistinguishable from the real thing. If there's a way to tell them apart, that can create other problems too, because what we know from some market research is that people tend to prefer authentic horns for somewhat obvious reasons, right? If you're consuming this for the perceived medicinal value, you're going to want to eat the real thing versus a synthetic version in many cases. So if there is some way to distinguish them, that might not actually do anything to the market for authentic horns, right? So that's, that's another problem. And then there's also just the question of how do you introduce a product like this into, into these markets, which really operate based on trust. And that's another concern that folks have raised with me, just like, it's going to be really difficult to actually get this product out there in a way that would put it into the hands of consumers. So that's some of the issues that a lot of conservation groups and, and animal welfare groups have with this product. And a lot of them make sense. Yeah. Do conservation groups and animal welfare groups have other ideas for trying to stop rhino poaching? And do tech companies fit into that vision? What these tech solutions really came out of or tech approaches came out of is just the fact that what we've done hasn't worked that well. So a lot of the traditional approaches to conservation have failed to prevent poaching. And so in a sense, like, yeah, you could say it is kind of ripe for a, a tech disruption. One key thing they said is that if you're going to try to apply tech to conservation, you really have to, from the very first day of starting to think through these products, work with folks who are actually facing them. So rangers on the ground who are managing populations of rhino, people directly involved in the trade of species. So folks at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or at CITES, communities that are living by these populations of animals, like work with them to actually get a sense of what they need. And then another kind of broad point that is worth making is that a lot of times issues in conservation and poaching is a good example, they are not necessarily kind of tech or scientific problems. They're problems that are rooted in, in politics and economics and culture. And so trying to target these approaches from a science or tech perspective doesn't always kind of hit the mark. You have to go more deeply to target some of these broader systems that create these challenges. I mean, you're talking about cultures that value these products for different ways. And so how do you work with people in those communities that, that have these beliefs to actually solve these problems versus just trying to go in where the rhinos are being poached and solve them there? So I think it just tells us that we need to be thinking more broadly when we're approaching some of these big issues in conservation. Benji, thanks for joining us and thanks for covering this. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. 
Be sure to check out the show notes for a link to Benji's reporting on biodiversity. And thank you for listening to Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. We'll see you tomorrow. 